Let's clap for Chad for that. There's a lot of hard names in that <laughs> reading. Oh, what a joy it is to be together. Um, my neighbor, who's become a good friend, uh, showed up at my house last week with a beer in his hand, and he had uh, 50 bucks to pay Jake for his yard, and he only was supposed to pay him like 20. <laughs> Uh, in that interaction, Jake was uh, super happy, and I was super sad. Because uh, he and I started talking, and um, my neighbor, good friend now, um, over the years, lived there for about eight years, um, he just shared how he's in that cycle again. And I said, hey, can I have your beer? I took it from him, and he said, I'm just going to go get another one. I said, I know, and... Uh, he said, my wife's kicking me out, and he's got these two so, uh, sweet daughters, man, just amazing daughters. And, um, man, it just broke my heart, uh, because he, he said, I, I, I want to get out of this. I want to be done with this. He said, uh, I, I'll come on Wednesday to Bible study. Didn't come. He said, I'll, I'll come on Sunday to church he didn't come. He said, Let, let's talk on Saturday. Let's talk some more about this together uh, with you and your wife and me and my wife. And he didn't come. And, and, and he's stuck. He's stuck. And it'll probably destroy his life. Uh, three days on Wednesday night, we, a couple of guys just prayed for him and hoping he'd show up and uh, elders prayed for him the other night too and uh, what one of the guys said just struck me he said uh, what needs to happen in his life is he needs to he needs to know the love of the Lord for him he needs to know how deeply he's forgiven how, how greatly he's loved he needs to know his savior his deliverer who breaks this cycle in his life he needs some guys to walk with him uh, in the hard times and to uh, uh, deal with uh, this disease, this addiction together with him and walk with him when it gets really hard. He needs a cycle broken. But we're all kind of in a cycle, aren't we? We keep kind of returning to the same sins over and over again, don't we? Uh, you might find yourself uh, confessing, coming before the Lord again in the same areas of, of anger or, or lust or anxiety over and over again, kind of feeling this cycle of sinning and wanting it to break. Uh, uh, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, man, I'm groaning in this earthly tent, longing to be in heaven when I'm going to have this uh, heavenly home, more stable, more secure, more, more holy, uh, more obedient to you, Father. I can't wait till that day. He talks about it in Romans chapter 7, too. He says, man, I, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. <laughs> He says, I keep chasing these false idols. I keep chasing disobedience. I keep chasing life in other places, and it keeps leading to death. I need a savior. I need a deliverer. I need someone to break the cycle. 
It's kind of the whole story of the scriptures, but we are, we are people made in the image of God, majestic and glorious to show him off and enjoy relationship with him. But we are so broken, so sinful. And there's this groaning that carries through the whole story of the scriptures, this longing, this waiting for, for a Savior who then comes in Jesus and then who, who will return and make all things new. Right? It's the story of the good, the bad, and the ugly and, and how it all points to Jesus. The one who's going to break the cycle of sin in our own life, the one who's going to uh, break the cycle of sin in his world when he redeems it. And we see him every step of the way from beginning to end. We, we, we saw him in Adam when we looked there at the beginning of Genesis. We, we saw him in Jephthah, right, with Moses. We saw him with, with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And, and now this morning we're going to see him in Deborah. We, remember we said we're, we're looking kind of four ways over and over again for the Savior through the story of the Scriptures. Uh, one, just redemptive history. How, how every event kind of carries us a bit closer and points forward to Jesus. Uh, two, through foreshadowing fulfilled. Like we see back here where, where the Passover lamb is slayed and we say, man, that's a, a dim picture of what will come in our Savior. And then Jesus shows up and that's fulfilled. We say, wow, he is the Passover lamb. In positive and negative types, right? In the good, the bad, and the ugly of men and women all through the story. In their bad, we groan with them. In their sin and disobedience, we say, oh God, we need a Savior. And in their good, we say, wow, what a mighty judge, what a king, what a prophet. And we look forward to a greater judge, a greater king, a greater prophet in Christ. And then through direct prophecy, he'll be born in Bethlehem, we read in Micah. And then he's born in the town of David, Bethlehem. All right, because the whole story is that of, of, of the being, being made in the image and the likeness and the majesty of God for, for a relationship with the living God, but being broken and sinful and continually returning to our own sin in this spiral and cycle as we long for and wait for the Savior to come and the one who will return and make all things new. What a deliverer he is and will be. That's the God my friend needs to meet. That's the God we need to meet. Because there is a sin cycle in your life that needs to be broken. There's a sin cycle in our world that you need to be a part of that needs to be broken. By our Savior, our Redeemer, our Deliverer's power and grace. We're in Judges this morning, and we're going to hear Deborah's story. It is a messy one. <laughs> it's a messy one. Let's just get into it. We'll look at Deborah's story, and then we'll say, how does this point us to Jesus' story, which shapes our own story? Deborah's story is told in history first in chapter 4. It's really succinct. Uh, every word is packed with a, probably a whole bunch of events that aren't told. And, and then in chapter 4, after this history, we get into chapter 5, and it's, it gets into Deborah's poetry. And in that, we see more details of the story and a bit of the theology behind the story as well. In chapter 4, God isn't explicitly mentioned a whole bunch, but then in chapter 5, he's all over it. Because God is all over the mess of real history and the real mess of our lives. 
to point us to our deliverer and see our lives and his world transformed as we wait for his return. So Judges chapter 4. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Uh, Here's the situation, the context of Judges. Uh, The people of the Lord again did what is evil. Again, there's this cycle going on in Judges, which we'll get to here in a second. They do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. They've defined what is good. They're going to do what they want to do, and that's evil in the sight of the Lord. It's in the sight of the Lord. This is a relational thing. It's not just their obedience or disobedience, but in in essence, they have said to the Lord, I want to be my own God. I want to do life my own way. I will, as the Lord will say, whore after these other gods. I will serve other gods. I will find life and security and peace and satisfaction other places than you, God. In your sight, I don't care. It's like uh, when your toddler, your four or five-year-old, looks right at you and takes food from their plate and throws it on the ground. (laughs) I don't care who you are or what you said to do or not do. I am my own, and I'll do as I please. Uh, Joshua has died. Joshua has taken God's people, the Israelites, uh, into the promised land. Uh, They've conquered all the people of the promised land, as God has said, but they've left it incomplete. We see through chapter 1, though Joshua has died now, uh, that that what was supposed to take place with the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and all these other Avites that are not following the Lord... They're supposed to be kind of totally done away with, but the Israelites kind of let them linger and then interact with them in such a way that they end up serving their gods. That was the main problem. Uh, Now, uh, some context probably needs to be given. This is uh, a theocracy. God has created Israel as his people to work out his purposes in history, to to then bring about the promises of God and this Savior who's to come through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then all the way to David and so on. And so he's kind of directing them as his people, as also a uh, geographic and political nation. That's, That's not the case today. In any sort of means or ways. Uh, not, not Israel, not America, not this or that. Uh, uh, we are now God's people, his church, and, and the weapons we fight with are love, self-sacrifice, obedience to him. We give ourselves away to him and to others. And this time, God is using this theocracy, Israel, his people, to bring about his purposes. And, and he's bringing about his judgment, his righteous judgment on the Canaanites. Now, this is not a very clean people. These people are doing uh, uh, child sacrifices left and right. They're, they're involved in the sex trade. They're involved in all this kind of stuff that would make us cringe. And so God is bringing his judgment on disobedience and idolatry. Uh, through his people in this very specific time where they are his kind of political but also religious nation. None like today. Uh, But his judgment is not just kind of in that moment in history, but then it foreshadows a judgment as all of Israel's life will do throughout the Old Testament as it foreshadows the the life of us as a church, but then uh, even God's eternal judgment that he will bring on all sin. And we don't want to lighten that. We don't want to say, oh, our God is just kind of like, he's just all mercy and grace and kind. Because he's also just, and he's holy, and he's mighty, and he's majestic, and he crushes sin. 
And he will either crush us for our sin or he will crush his son in our place for our sin. And we love the fact that he is just because if you have suffered injustice, no way do you want it to go unpunished. He's just, he is good. Joshua's died, they're in the land. The Canaanites and all these others are still lingering there. And God, in the beginning of Judges, gives us this context of what's going to happen over and over and over again, what we'll see in Deborah's story and all the other 12 judges. That again, the people will do evil in the sight of the Lord. They'll keep going back to their sin. They need the cycle to be broken by a deliverer. So in chapter 2, the context of Judges, uh, God reminds the people of the covenant, the relationship that he has promised for them and with them. He says in, Genesis, or in Judges chapter 2, verse 1, Now the angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal at Bacham, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you into the land, and I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break covenant with you. So he's got this uh, eternal, unconditional promise of covenant relationship. He says, I'm going to give you an eternal land. I'm going to make you a people of great blessing. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless through you. And I will keep my promises, God says. But you have not obeyed, verse 2. What is this you have done? And now I say, I won't drive out all these people before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Thorns and snares, you will be trapped by the sin that you step into, and it will be a pain to you as these people oppress you, as you give yourself to their gods. See, here's the cycle then he lays out, which will be repeated all through the book over and over again verse 11 and following of chapter 2. Uh, this is probably the, the most important piece of the whole book of Judges. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so they're living in peace and obedience for a little while with God, but then they again abandon the Lord. They do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. They say, forget you, we're enjoying these 40 years of peace right now as we follow you, but we want to do things our own way, and they do. And then verse 14 says it, and so the anger of the Lord is kindled against Israel, his people, and he gave them over to be plunders, to the plunders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies. He says, he says, in a sense, what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. If you want to have your own way of sin, then take your consequences as well. He hands them over. It's, in a sense, his, his passive act of wrath and judgment to say, if you want to live that way in your relationships, go for it. It will bring your disaster and destruction. If you want to sacrifice your whole life and all of your effort and all of your time and everything to your work, go for it. It will destroy every relationship you have. If you want to find security in your bank account, well, try and cling to those numbers and you will never find security. If you want to live that way in your sexuality, then go for it. It'll bring disaster. So he hands them over. 
And the Canaanites or the Perizzites or the Hivites, they'll come in and they'll conquer God's people. They'll oppress them. And then they'll cry out, verse 18, verses 16 and 18 and following, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Down in verse 18, chapter 2, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. Get this, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. So the, the people cry out, they groan, and then the Lord says, okay, I'll send this judge, uh, in this case Deborah, who's going to rescue you out of uh, the hands of your oppressors because you have handed yourself over to the idolatry of their gods. I'll send you a deliverer, and he sends a deliverer, and, and it says the Lord is with this judge who will then save them, bring salvation in their lives, rescue them from their own idolatry and their oppression that it brings. But then we read in verse 19 what happens again in the cycle. But whatever the judge died, whenever they died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. You see it? Do you feel the cycle? Do you see it in your own life? Do you see it in the life of, of the Israelites in this time of the judges? They, they're, they're doing okay, right? They're following the Lord. It's okay. And, and then they're like, just a little dibble, a little dabble. I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that sin and disobedience. It grows more. And then there's this uh, oppression, this uh, thorns and snares. And, and then they cry out when it gets so terrible. And God says, fine, I'll draw you out by my mercy and by my pity. And then he draws them out. And they're, they're living in, in plenty again. And then they turn back again. Like a dog returns to his vomit, the Proverbs say. To get just a bit more of that sin because it was just, just satisfying enough to capture us again. Uh, but the, their time of obedience keeps shrinking and then their depth uh, of disobedience and what they do keeps growing in disobedience. Uh, so much so that as the cycle continues uh, towards the end of the book, we see, man, the Israelites look just like the Canaanites with their child sacrifices, the way they're treating their women and their relationships with each other. And you, you say, Canaanite, Israelite, man, the oppressor has just uh, kind of, they've uh, totally assimilated in. Look no different than the world. Not marked by the ways of God or the deliverer he sent. I mean, some of the most disgusting things you've read in all the scriptures you're finding at the end of Judges. We need someone to break the cycle. In our lives and in this world, we need a little deliverer. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. This is just what he does, right? He says, fine, sells them into his people, into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan. You want to have your way of evil and disobedience, you can have it and its consequences. Uh, Jabin, the king of Canaan, reigned in Hazor, and the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in uh, Harasheth Hagawim. 
A place where uh, not my people, not the people of God lived. And, and now the people of God are going to uh, be uh, pressed by and assimilate themselves under and with the Canaanites. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron. And he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Jabin and his general Sisera have 900 chariots of iron. There's probably about 100,000 troops in their army, and, and Israel is probably around 40,000 or so at this point. They're going to gather about 10,000 troops, uh, uh, but, but a big deal is made about these chariots of iron. We're going from the Bronze Age to the Iron Age, and, and so they've got kind of the, the highest technology, and they're just slaughtering people with these chariots. And the pressure is heavy of the Canaanites on God's people. And it's 20 years God's people are serving these foreign gods and being oppressed by the Canaanites. 20 years. I mean, we gloss things like that in the scriptures. Don't wait 20 years to cry out to the Lord for help and in that cycle of sin in your life, or that cycle of sin you're seeing in the world, don't wait 20 years to engage with the grace and the mercy and the justice of our God in those areas. And in the year one, two, three, four, missing the, the, the mercy and the joy of knowing and serving our God all those years gone by. Don't wait 20 years. To, to attack that sin that you've kept secret for all these years and it's stealing joy from your single life or your married life. Don't wait 20 years to attack that thing. Don't wait 20 more years to attack your anxiety, to get real about it and say, this is why I'm anxious and start talking with somebody. Uh, get what you need for help. Uh, share with the people in your 3D group. Don't wait 20 years to become transparent, to, to accept the mercy and love of your God to be embraced. These guys wait 20 years. <laughs> and they cry out for help to their God. And Deborah shows up. See, it's amazing, though. Deborah's already been at work as a judge, as a leader. It's kind of like a king figure. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, a wife of Lapida, was judging Israel at the time. I love it. She's kind of killing it on all angles, right? Like, she's a prophetess. Uh, we know Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, is a prophetess. We know Isaiah's wife is a prophetess, right? She also, Deborah, is a prophetess. She's, she's a wife of Lapida. She's uh, in, in relationship with him and honoring him. And then, and then she's also a judge of Israel at, at that time. And these judges, what they're doing, uh, they're kind of doing what you would think of as a judge sometimes, which is they're uh, arbitrating between relationships and making decisions. You you see about Deborah, she's uh, in this area of Ephraim and she sits under this palm tree and, and people come because of her character and her judgments to, to get her insights of who God is and what he says and how to apply his word in every situation. So they come to her in that way. But a judge also, we've read it a couple times now, a judge brings salvation, rescues and saves God's people. And that's what she's going to do. <laughs> And she's going to bring it through Barak, right? Uh, here's what she says in uh, verses uh, 5 and following. She's sitting under this tree, verse 6. And she sent and she summoned Barak, 
the son of Abinoam and Kadash Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. It's almost as though she's reminding him here. Hasn't the Lord commanded you this? Like, isn't this who our God is and what he said to do? We, we shouldn't be oppressed. We shouldn't be assimilating to these people and their gods. But, but hasn't God said, go assemble an army and get us out of this situation? She speaks what is true of God and his ways and, and tells Barak this. And, and he listens up and he says, uh, she, she reminds him that the Lord is going to draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river of Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. Isn't that what the Lord said? And Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I will not go. He's like, and I hear you about what's true of who God is and what he says he's going to do. But I need you to go with me. She's like, I'm going with you. Don't we need this kind of friend? Don't we need this kind of woman? Don't we need this kind of strength that says, this is what God says, and, and she surfaces what is true, even though it's hard to say to Barak, who's not doing what he ought to be doing in this moment. And then uh, he's like, yeah, but I don't really want to go anywhere. And she says, I'll go with you. You got a problem of sin in this area of your life? She doesn't say, now go take care of it. Good luck with that. Hey, you need to stop living with your girlfriend. Uh, good luck finding a place to live. Hey, you got to deal with this sin issue in your life, or you got to seek forgiveness in that, or you got to bring this to the surface, your anxiety. I hope it goes well with you. You should probably find a counselor. All right, good luck. No, Deborah says, here's what's wrong in our life, in our land, and I'm going with you into it. And I'm going with you right into the heart of it. And so Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up on his heels, and Deborah went with him. And they go, and it's, it's not uh, super condemning about Barak, by the way. Uh, I think there's a lot of just his wisdom in this to say, man, she knows who God is. She's been called by God as a prophetess, and I'm going to listen to what she says, and we're going in together. In, in chapter 5, what we see is they are singing together. It's Deborah's song, but Barak is singing with her, and they are rejoicing. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see Barak is celebrated as a, a man of great faith. And, and so she's not just like straight condemning him, but she's speaking wisdom of who God is and what he wants to be done. She's going with him in it, and Barak is saying, yeah, it is wise to go in with you. Let's do this together. Let's use your strengths and my strengths and come together. It's going to be amazing. Man, that's what we need in the church, by the way. That's what we need in our marriages, uh, your strength and my strength in a complementary way, coming together for the glory of God. And not saying to uh, women, uh, you can't teach within our church, you can't serve within our church, you can't lead in a community group, uh, you can't do this or that. Uh, not to say to women in our marriage, you can't, you can't speak, I'm the head of the household. I'll tell you where we're going to live. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's terrible leadership. There's differentiation. Men are to be the head of the household, just like Jesus is, who sacrifices his whole life as he leads and takes responsibility for the flourishing, in this case, of our wives and of the women in our church, that they would use all their gifts to the glory of their God and us together. That is why I'm so sorry. I'm going to tell a little bit of the end of the story. JL comes up and she drives this tent peg in the head of Sisera, this evil general. 
And through the whole story, man, these women are elevated in their amazing faith and their amazing obedience. And I just want to say, man, we have got these women. We got some Deborahs in our church. Danielle, Danielle, Sarah, Jeannie. I mean, the tip of the tent peg bringing justice for vulnerable children. Just amazing. And the church rallying around as they lead out and, and, and break ground to say, we got to care for foster kids. We got to adopt kids. We, we got to gather all these materials because uh, foster the family needs our help. Praise God. Praise God. Differentiated in roles, equal in value, and all using their gifts. As Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 and 16 will say, we teach and admonish one another, caring for each other as we all seek the Lord together. Husbands and elders living self-sacrificial lives to say, women in our marriages, in our church, use your gifts everywhere, let's do it. So they go into battle. Verse 12. Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera, this is that evil general with uh, Jabin, who is uh, head of the Canaanites, he calls out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron. Over and over again, the author of Judges keeps saying, man, he's got a lot of chariots. Guys, watch out. He's got a lot of chariots. This is what everyone's all scared about. Dude has 900 iron chariots. He's going to crush us. And all the men are with him too. From Harasheth Hagoim, not my people up there bringing down their wrath and their judgment on my people, God says to the river of Kishon. And, and Deborah says to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Yeah, I'm glad he's got chariots. We have the Lord. Does not the Lord go out before you? She reminds again. I love she keeps using these questions. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera. All his chariots. <laughs> I love it. And all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from the chariot and he fled. He runs away. And Deborah's already said to Barak, hey, the glory, the glory's not going to be yours. The glory's not going to be all of ours, right? Through her song, she's singing, man, our kings were amazing. Our people were awesome. I was great, she says. I rose up, right? And I said what was true, Deborah says. Uh, uh, but it, it wasn't any of our glory. And she says, actually, the Lord's going to give glory to this other woman in this story to highlight the fact that he is bringing the victory. Verse 17, Cicero runs away on foot to the tent of jail, the wife of Heber. And now here's what she's thinking. She's thinking, I found my ally. These are allies of, her, of, of Cicero's. And he is, you know, he's just gotten slaughtered in this battle. No one quite has heard that news yet. And he's running away and he finds this ally, Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. And Cicero comes to Jael and 
And he says, uh, she, she, verse 18, comes out to meet Sisera and says, hey, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Don't be afraid anymore. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. She's like, I'll hide you in here. And he says to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opens up a skin of milk instead. She says, I'll give you more sustenance. I'll give you kind of a, a heartier meal of milk and curds we read about in the Song of Deborah. Because Jael knows guy's tired. <laughs> And Jael's no ally to Sisera. She must know this God of the Israelites is doing something. And I want to be on his side, not the Canaanite side. And it gets kind of gory. And I'd like, to be say, I'd like to be able to say this is just all descriptive of what happened. It's not uh, prescriptive in the sense that like God wasn't behind this in one sense. But, but the song says, praise Jael, the tent dweller, for what she does here. And it's kind of crazy. No one do this, by the way. And Sisera says to her, verse 20, stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, is there anyone here? Say, No. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg, took a hammer in her hand. She went softly to Sisera and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast from weariness. So he died. We probably don't need that lad. We know he's, he's dead. <laughs> and the justice of God is driven through the temple of Sisera, and he dies. Verse 23, so on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of the king, before the people of Israel, his people. God won. And we look in this story and we say, we have a deliverer, a judge, one who will save who will bring together the justice and the mercy of God in a way we never could have imagined. And, and there's some messiness to this story here, but when we look forward, there's some messiness to the story here too with Jesus, but, but he hangs on the cross as our deliverer and our savior to take all the wrath, the justice of God in our place and to pour out his mercy to break the cycle of sin in our own lives and to break the cycle of sin in his world. And we cry out, what a mighty Savior. What a mighty Savior. A couple thoughts of how Jesus' story will shape our own story, our deliverer, our judge, our rescuer, our Savior from the story of Deborah and Barak. The first is this. Our captivity is often created by our own idolatry. Our captivity, the thorns and the snares in our own life, is often created by our own idolatry. You know, as we're reading in chapter 2 of the summary of how all this occurs over and over again, uh, this little phrase will come up over and over again. Verse 3. Now I, uh, so now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides. Their gods shall be a snare to you. Verse 11. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they 
abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after other gods. And we see this over and over again. Gods. Gods. The problem is the S. And often our own captivity is a result or created by our own idolatry, which is to say, I will seek life or power or freedom or security or satisfaction in the gods of this land. In a different place other than the one true God who I ought to offer my whole self to for security, for purpose, for peace, for validation, for satisfaction. Because he is the one true God who I will serve with my whole life. He is worthy of my honor, praise, and worship. And I'll find all things in him and relationship with him. Instead we say, I have got to have this in order to find that. Deepest need. If I could just become a bit more of this, then, then I'd be secure. Then I'd have life. Then I'd have purpose. If I had a bit more influence or power, I could, I could change uh, this situation in the world. I could change this thing in my life. I, I could do it. And see, the problem is when we hand ourselves over to these different idols in our life, these different things that we end up serving, is, is they become the God of our life because we have become the God of our own lives. Deciding where to find life itself. Uh, uh, in self-directed living. In self-centered living. Did you see that guy uh, who fell into Mount Vesuvius? <laughs> He's, what's he doing? Just this past week's from Baltimore. No offense, Brandon. He's taking a selfie. I, I, 200, uh, from 2011 to 2016, there were 250 deaths by selfie. Because <laughs> you're standing too close to the cliff. He falls into Mount Vesuvius in Italy, right? The, the volcano that erupted and covered Pompeii, right? Uh, he could have fallen a thousand feet down. Thankfully, he just fell like 20 feet. He ends up unconscious, and they save him. Life is about me, about where I want to go, about what I want to do. Me, me, me. Becomes a thorn and a snare in our lives. Your own captivity often is the creation of your own idolatry, my own idolatry. Second thing we need to learn from this story as we look to our true deliverer, our greatest deliverer, our mighty Savior in Christ is some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Uh, Psalm 27, just one of my favorite verses, it says, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. Contrast, but, but, but we Trust in the name of the Lord, our God, our Savior, our Deliverer. The one who breaks the cycle of sin in our life. The one who breaks the cycle of sin in this world. The one who's come to rescue us. The one who's come to redeem his world. He's the one we trust in. There might be chariots out there, but our God's got this. Our God has got this. See, see the battle you're fighting or the battle that you're stepping into, it's not about your circumstance. It's about your trust. 
It's about my trust. Where is it? Because a circumstance may not go the way you want it to go. But our God is good and mighty and we can trust him. And often he will break into the circumstance and he will do something uh, majestic and mighty in a way you never would have expected. I mean, Jael, tent peg into the head, brings just Sisera in that situation. I mean, this guy, uh, Jael's doing this thing, right? She's putting this tent peg in his head to bring justice and break this cycle of sin in God's people's lives. And Sisera, what he's known for in that moment, his mom kind of comes into the picture as Deborah is singing this song at the end of chapter 5. And Sisera, this evil general's uh, mom, is thinking, oh, I bet I know what Sisera's doing. He's won the battle, because he certainly beat that God. And he's bringing the spoils of war, their women, back to our camp. Two wombs for every man. And God is saying, no, I brought justice now, a foretaste of the justice I will bring forever. I killed that Sisera. <laughs> Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Where do you need his strength? Where do you need his salvation? Where do you need him to break a cycle of sin in your life or in the life of the world around you? Where do you need him? If you trusted him, what would it look like to step in obedience in that area? To bring that secret sin to life or to, to bring that anxiety to the table and talk honestly about it. Uh, where do you need to uh, step in trust and obedience to break that sin cycle in your life? Uh, where are you seeing uh, injustice in this world or the brokenness of sin in this world where if you trusted in the Lord your God, not some chariot, that you would step in obedience? What would that look like in your life? If the Lord were fighting for you and with you, if, if like Deborah says to Barak, the Lord will go before you and bring victory. We know one day he will bring a total victory. Let's watch him bring foretaste now through our obedience as we follow him in trust and faith. And lastly, break the cycle. Break the cycle. You know, as chapter 2 talked all about that cycle, it's going to flow all through the book of Judges over and over again. Here's where that cycle started, why they keep returning over and over to their sin. Verse 10 of chapter 2. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. There arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for his people, Israel. They'd forgotten. They, they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know what he had done. They didn't know how he had uh, uh, delivered them out of Egypt. They didn't know what he had done to bring salvation, how he'd part of the Red Sea, how he'd given them a law to obey, how he was with them by his mercy and grace, how, how he had brought justice, and he had brought mercy, and he'd rescued them. They, they didn't know that. They'd forgotten. It's why every week, we remember that how on the cross, the justice of God and the mercy of God collides in the person of Christ. How our Savior, how our Deliverer takes on the wretchedness of our sin, our rebellion, our, our lack of trust, 
And he's pierced and he's crushed on that cross for us. And the mercy and the love and the grace of God collides with his justice right there on the cross. And when we remember that over and over again, though sometimes we return to our sin, what we're reminded is what a mighty Savior I have. I'm not still held captive to the guilt and to returning to the sin over and over again. What a mighty, forgiving, loving Savior I have. One who's risen from the grave and will walk with me into new obedience and trust and following him in this area of my life or in that brokenness in his world. And we're compelled by his justice and his mercy and his might to follow him with all we got. Because he is our God single. (laughs) And there are no other gods. So let's run again to him this morning. Let's be reminded that he's poured out his justice and his mercy in the deliverer, the judge, the one who would bring restoration, break the cycles of sin in our lives and in his world once and for all forever. Let's take and eat together if you're trusting in him. If you're not, don't take and eat this morning, but instead, would you receive Christ? The one who was punished in your place. The one who lives to give you living relationship with the living God. Let him change your whole life and draw you to himself. Let's take and eat together.